Hello, it's Paul Scott here, <coughs> a UK small caps investor, commentator and writer of the small cap value reports on stockopedia.com with Graham Neary and occasional help from Roland Head. So uh, another difficult week, hasn't it been? I know a lot of the readers are getting really despondent. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, there are a lot of reader comments this week where people really seem to be feeling the pressure uh you know this is the way it goes with um particularly with smaller caps they are volatile and looking at the main indices over the last year here i've got them all on one page on the browse section of stockopedia under indices uh that's if you toggle a switch on the top right to turn it from table view into chart view and looking at all the indices the uk indices it's it's all you know much of a muchness in terms of they're making fairly normal movements you know the FTSE 100 is now has dropped quite sharply to 7262 um well it's it's kind of zigzagged up and down over the last year fairly normal movements i would suggest this is just what equity equities do especially over the quiet summer months when liquidity in a lot, of, a lot of the small caps dries up and this would have been a year where sell in may and go away and come back in what is it st ledger's day which i think is september that would have worked this year some years it does some years it doesn't and obviously macro factors are not helping are they there's um worries about the chinese economy slowing and um property companies over there are defaulting and so on. I don't think that particularly affects us over here, actually. In fact, China exporting deflation will help bring down our um, inflation rate, won't it? And the way I look at it is the cost of living squeeze is now drawing to a close. A close. A lot of companies seem to be uh, saying to their staff that you don't expect to get the same sort of pay rises you got last year in this year. So I think a lot of the, a lot of factors are actually gently moving in the right di- well clearly moving in the right direction actually. The one that isn't of course is the aggressive um uh, interest rate hikes which is the the big issue right now. I think they're really overdoing it. I think it's uh, very clumsy the policy that the central banks are pursuing. Um, and because of the lagged effect, we've got no idea what impact the uh, aggressive rate hikes they've already done have actually had or will have. So um, I think there's a good chance this could all end badly. But uh, we'll just have to see, won't we? Meanwhile, in the real world of, of, of company-by-company analysis, most companies are reporting in-line results, um, some even surprising on the upside. So... Um, I do think things like a recovery in the housing market and the house builders is now deferred well into 2024, I think. So that sector's obviously softened. We've been saying that sort of thing for a, a few weeks now. So I'm I'm watching the house builders, but I'm not tempted to buy just yet. Um, and, you know, if you, as a lot of the readers were saying, oh, my portfolio's down 5 or 10% this year, year to date, I feel desperate and blah, blah, blah. That's just part and parcel, isn't it, of, of of owning shares. If you're a trader, if you're trying to nip in and out and time the market, good luck to you. But there are not many people who can do that consistently well. There are plenty who claim they can, but uh, there are not actually that many who, who, who do it consistently well. And if you're in good quality companies or modest valuations with net cash on the balance sheets that are trading all right... We should do very well from here. I just don't know when. So, yes, I jumped the starting gun two weeks ago, I think. But I still broadly think um, 
we could well get into a nice autumn rally, I think. So um, panic selling right now, I think, would almost certainly be a mistake. But we'll see. It might drop lower. So what? If you're not using gearing, it doesn't matter. We don't have to be constantly checking our prices on the screen. In fact, I think that's very damaging to do that. I do it myself, so I'm a complete hypocrite. But, um, you know, your mood and your happiness on one day or even over the long term should not be linked to what share prices happen, happen to be doing when the market's operating on thin liquidity and you've got a, you know, a relatively small number of possibly forced sellers from funds redeeming um, money to their customers or just, you know, people giving up or leverage people being stopped out or whatever. Forget it, it's all background noise. Basically, if we're in good quality companies that are performing well uh, and their valuations are cheap, then it's only a matter of time before those valuations go up. And I'm still very, very excited about all the bargains out there. I love the stuff in my portfolio. I'm, I could see them, the portfolio being substantially higher once uh, markets get into a nice bull phase, which they always do. So, uh, And if you can't cope with it, then don't invest in equities, to be blunt. You know, this is how it is. Markets go through bad patches and it's volatile and... You know, we just have to live with that. And then we enjoy the, the bull markets when they happen, don't we? So you've got to take the rough with the smooth. That's the way I look at it. Right, Monday, 14th of August, the small cap value report. Uh, Graham and I looked at six companies. I'll rattle through those quickly. There was a takeover bid for uh, Glantus Holdings, G-L-A-A-N, recommended cash offer. I normally congratulate people when they get takeover bids for companies, but I didn't on this occasion because anyone holding that share made a really bad decision and just happened to get lucky. It's a terrible company, but anyway, somebody's seen some value in it and um, they're offering a good premium, but it's way below. It's only about a third of the IPO price. Uh, the share has been a, a disaster. So uh, a lucky escape there for shareholders in Glantus. Now, Two interesting companies on Monday, and this is one of my key themes at the moment, is large director buys. Uh, now, I've allocated 10 or 20% of my portfolio to do some shorter-term bounce-type trades, and what I'm looking for is companies that put out either ahead-of-expectations updates and or substantial director buying. And I would say substantial director buying probably over a hundred grand. Anyway, I had two of those on uh, Monday, both of which I did nip in and buy a few with my trading money. No, sorry, I was already in one anyway, uh, and it was a repeat director buy in Gaming Realms, GMR. Uh, now, I really like this. I went green on this one uh, a little while ago, and I think it was a mystery share a week or two ago in these podcasts. I'd noticed that one of the directors, a non-exec, has been buying heavily. And I also did all my own research on the on the company. It provides uh, this Slingo gambling um, online casino software, which it um, licenses to um, online casinos all over the world. It seems incredibly popular. And um, I think this is a really interesting company. I was sceptical on it a couple of years ago. But, you know, I've, I did, did up, uh, got myself acquainted with the latest forecasts and the latest results. Uh, 
fairly recently, and I, I was really impressed. So, anyway, a director there, Mark Blandford, has just bought um, £123,000 worth of shares in Gaming Realms, and he bought £180,000 worth a few days ago as well. And it turns out, I googled him, Mark Blandford is the founder of Sporting Bet, obviously a pioneer in on- online gambling, so he knows that he's rich and he knows the sector very, very well. Uh, and he's picking up big chunks of shares in Gaming Realms. So that really adds to my conviction on Gaming Realms. Actually, I I don't think I did buy any more. I bought them a a week or two ago, I think. I can't remember exactly anyway. But uh, it's now my third largest position. I think it looks very, very good, Gaming Realms. Although you do find when things bounce strongly... We're seeing uh, punters banking profits at the moment, aren't we? We're seeing that all over the place with lots of shares. So I am bearing that in mind. I'm not going to bank the profits myself. I'm running this just as a a longer-term position now, Gaming Realms. Now, the second one where there was really big director buying, huge director buying, was On the Beach, OTB. This is the package holidays uh, website, sort of intermediary, that does a huge amount of advertising. Um, now, um, last time we looked at it, we were amber. That was in May. But I've gone green on it because the shares have could continue dropping, and I flagged this at 95 pence a share. A director, actually the founder, he's now a non-exec, called Simon Cooper, uh, through an intermediary, he's just spent two and a half million quid buying shares in it at 88p. That's taken him up significantly to seven and a half percent. Now, when a founder director buys on that scale, I'm I'm inclined to follow suit. And people, some of the readers, correctly pointed out, oh, he banked about ten million or something, selling at a much higher price. And they seem to think that was a negative thing. I, I see it as a positive. It shows that he's really shrewd. He knows when to sell and bank a great profit. And now he's buying at a quarter or whatever it is of the price he sold at, and he's buying in really substantial size. Good for him. I think he's a man to follow. So I picked up some some myself, and it went up, I think, to about pound five. but then subsequently gave back most of that um, rise in Thursday and Friday's uh, big sell-off, which was an across-the-board sell-off and everything. And uh, But I'm still up on that trade, so uh, I don't know how long I'll hold on the beach, but I, the, the, everything lines up for me on that. I've looked at the fundamentals. I think it's cheap on the fund- fundamentals anyway. So the founder then buying two and a half million quids of the stock in the open market just really adds the icing on the cake to me. Or, in fact, that's a sort of catalyst, I think, for me wanting to buy some. So I did. Anyway, I think these uh, these sorts of... Um, recovery, bounce, direct-to-buy type trades are very interesting at the moment, so I'll keep flagging up any that I find. Now, what else did I look at on Monday? Oh, well, Graham looked at Lock and Store, so have a look at that Monday's report for that one. Um, Central NIC, I just don't like this, I'm sorry. I run through the the interim results came out. I spent quite a bit of time going through them. And, uh, oh, excuse me, this is the thing that does... uh, what is it? Sort of, uh, it seems to be uh, advertorial type websites. Don't like the sector. Uh, all these online ad ad tech type businesses um, are are pretty horrible. I think you just you just don't know uh, whether the profits are sustainable or not. Um, Central NIC interim results. Now the trading and outlook actually seem fine at Central NIC, uh, and the valuation appears cheap. But I, as I say, on, on, on closer in inspection of these interim results, my previous concerns are still there. It's got a horribly weak balance sheet. 
and the bank debt is now costing $6 million in interest just for the first half. I think it's doing buybacks that it can't afford, shouldn't be doing buybacks out of debt. And I'm not. I'm still not... Well, I don't believe that the profits and cash flow are necessarily sustainable. So, But anyway, there are, as I say, there are bull and bear points on central NIC, but I'm moderately negative, so I've, I've flagged it as amber stroke red. And finally, Graham looked at Hostel World interim results, um, so have a look at Monday's report for that. That seems to be um, a quite an interesting turnaround, actually, that one. Although Graham's still a bit lukewarm on it, I think, but... I think maybe he's being a little bit tight there. I thought a hostile word looks looks moderately interesting, HSW. Right, on to Tuesday's report. This was the 15th of August. Now, I had a look. There really wasn't much interesting news at all on this day. Um, so I looked at a backlog item from the previous day called Stellrad. Uh, ticker is SRAD. Now, this one put out interim results. It's a fairly recent float which, um, as the name suggests, manufactures and distributes uh, metal radiators, you know, the sort of things we have in our walls that are powered by hot water from a gas boiler. Which So my big question over this is what happens with all the environmental changes that we seem to be push, being pushed towards having um, heat pumps, um, you know, and the phasing out of gas boilers apparently is in the pipeline, which... I don't know, with all these things, they quite often get deferred, don't they? It's like the the business of phasing out petrol-engined cars by whatever the date uh, it's meant to be done by. You just think, you know, this is going to cause chaos. And what's going to happen to the whole North Sea gas industry? And we've got all this gas available that we could frack um, and use probably existing infrastructure and so on. So big question marks over over really energy policy, I think, and how it all works in future, which is my main question mark over Stellrad. If they're going to have to diversify into other products, then um, should we see the existing business as a kind of cigar butt type business? So I don't know the answer to that, but I'm just flagging it as a question. Anyway, the interim results I wasn't madly impressed with. H1 profit was down on on the previous year. Now, there's too much bank debt with Stellrad. It seems to be quite a capital-intensive business, so I'm just flagging up. You might want to look more closely at the balance sheet. Um, But it does look superficially attractive on PE ratio and dividend yields. But how's it going to pay off the bank debt? That's the thing, isn't it? Um, So I think overall, Stellarad, it's not for me. I think we can afford to be so choosy at the moment. This is the thing. I mean, for me, small cap investing, stock picking, it's really a game of elimination. You know, and I think the best investors I know eliminate probably well over nine out of ten of all the share ideas they look at. And they pick their spots and they make money year after year after year, the best small cap investors, because they just focus on the best shares. And they just ignore everything else. And as Paul Hill said said in a recent chat we had, you know, you can't swing at everything. You can't catch every single uh, move of every single share. So I think it's all about picking your spots. And there's so many good companies at attractive valuations right now. I cannot see the point in getting involved in kind of middle middling type shares that look okay, you know, but... Unless they're stunningly cheap, and if they are stunningly cheap, there's probably something wrong. So, so I think we don't need to get involved in any of these things if, unless we're really excited by what stunning value it is and uh, what a great 
company it is. Uh, why invest in other things at all? It amazes me some of the some of the junk people have in their portfolio. And you think, why on earth did you buy that? Why would you pick that over some of the terrific, really good value shares that are out there? So I think that having that discipline is very important at the moment, especially. And also, if you know you're in a really terrific company, you're not tempted to sell it. It doesn't matter if the price uh, goes haywire and it keeps dropping. You just think, well, it's a good company. It, it just beat expectations. You know, say something like Card Factory, uh, which I hold. You just think, well, you know, uh, it, it doesn't matter that the price is drifting because we know it's doing terrifically well and it's really cheap. That said, I did I did top slice some of my Card Factory when an RNS came through that the largest shareholder. Uh, seems to be selling stock in the market. So I think there is an overhang, and I think they've dropped in stages from 18%, 17%, 16%. So when you see the biggest shareholder feeding stock into the market like that, that I think is a short-term, what do you call it, Um, you know, it's a depressing factor in the short term. Um, So, you know, if I need to raise money for for something else, like on the beach, or I want to sort of just have a shortish term trade I will top slice some of my other holdings that have gone up a lot and I think everyone's doing that at the moment aren't they that's why you know if you get a 20-30% rise there is an argument I know I'm completely contradicting myself here but there is an argument for actually top slicing some of the holding to free up money to buy something else isn't there so are we all turning into traders I think I think possibly there is a bit of that at the moment and why not actually it keeps you interested to be doing something as well you know, buy and hold forever is a perfectly valid strategy, but why not trade around the edges of some of uh, your positions? I, I, I do. Now I'm only paying five ninety five uh, commission. I'm much more receptive to doing that. Whether it actually makes money overall, I don't know. We'll see. But um, anyway, how did I get onto that? Eight 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 holdings. Graham had a look at interim results there. This is the one that's got massive, massive amounts of debt, and quite a volatile share price there was something funny about a big shareholder getting involved there wasn't there um but anyway see tuesday's report for graham's latest thoughts on 888 oh and then he did a quick comment on upgs that's up global sourcing holdings this is the uh importer of household goods branded household goods mainly from that are made in china so obviously china risk there and i do wonder about um the risk for all these um, companies, for the Chinese factories starting to sell direct to consumers in the UK. I think that's, you know, some of these companies could end up being disintermediated. I mean, Timu, I've mentioned loads of times before, it really bothers me that the Chinese factories and distributors now seem to be thinking in terms of supplying consumers in countries like the UK direct and cutting out all the middlemen. So that's something to think about. A possible threat, isn't it, to their business model? Although, though UPGS, I think, does have the brand um, ownership for some of its stuff. So, uh, yeah, Tuesday's report was a bit light. Sorry about that. There just wasn't really much of interest to report on. Uh, we also had InSTEM. Um, we didn't cover that, but it, it, it mentions a second half waiting to results, which we generally don't like. MTI Wireless Edge said interims... Uh, were on, and it, they said that it was on track, and then Genuit. I haven't looked at Genuit. Is that something that changed its name? I don't know. Seven hundred fifty-seven million market cap, and it's top end of expectations. But we didn't get around to looking at that. Sorry about that. Do you know? I've started. Um, 
I've started dropping my G's at the end of words with ing at the end. I've noticed that. I think it's because I've listened to Pretty Patel too much. You know the way she said what I'm talking about and uh, I was walking down the road. You know, I've started doing that. I never did it in the past. It's funny, isn't it, how you pick up sort of vocal ticks from listening to people. <laughs> All interesting. Or not. I've got to get this done quite quickly, actually, because my niece is arriving in Bournemouth in about 45 minutes, and I want to meet her at the station. So let's rattle through the rest of these. Rather ill-prepared, I'm afraid. Wednesday, 16th of August. Now, here is an, another interesting trading idea that I put up. I researched between 7 and 8 a.m., and I put this up at 8 a.m. Restore. RST. Now, this is... Uh, I have this on my watch list because the shares have just been absolutely in freefall. Nothing... didn't seem to catch uh, buyers at any level, really. I mean, it's... Um, it has warned on profits, but it wasn't a disaster by any means. And uh, so I was looking for a signal uh, on this if I should get involved and maybe buy some for a bounce, again, with this little bit of trading money I've got. And this has worked out quite well, I have to say. It put out interim results. I went through them. As I say, I published this bang on the nose at 8am, and I, I marked it amber-green on the basis of the fact that, yes, the shares had fallen on a profit warning, but I was really worried about excessive debt. Anyway, as I, mentioned, as I flagged up in Wednesday's report... Uh, the trading update with the and the interim results generally reassured me that things haven't got any worse. Now this is the one, if you remember, it it went on a fairly um, it was it was quite a highly rated stock. Restore was RST, based on you know a growth strategy of buying complementary businesses acquisitions to add to its uh, storage. It stores paperwork for solicitors and accountants and things like that underground. I think in in dry facilities and then they can access. Rather than having to store huge amounts of paperwork on site, it's outsourced to restore. Um, but the uh, the core business still seems to be trading okay. But some of the acquisitions haven't performed, and the CEO uh, had to resign. But this time round, it reiterated the lowered forecast, so it doesn't look as if the situation's getting any worse. And crucially, I think the debt situation looks under control. So I've said here could be a trade for a bounce possibly. Well, it's worked out rather well. I did grab a few myself as well, um, which I'm allowed to do. You know, the uh, I have to disclose once I've bought anything. Uh, and obviously what I write is always consistent with what I've, uh, with what I've done personally, because I'm just giving my honest opinions on things, as, as readers know. So anyway, it's bounced quite nicely, that one. Um, and, and it held on to the bounce on Thursday and Friday's big sell-off, and even added to it on Friday. So I think that's really encouraging. So I'm going to sit tight on research store i don't want to hold it forever but i've uh, I, I posted this comment at one pound 26 first thing on wednesday morning and i think it ended the week about one pound 40 something like that so that's a nice little profit we've had on that one so i'm looking out for things like that because i think if i can flag up interesting trading ideas as well as long-term buy and hold type thing i think that's a useful service for the readers anyway graham looked at Essentra, e-s-n-t uh, interim results, they were in line, nothing much particularly exciting happening about that. Um, this is the one where they sold off, made some big disposals, paid, paid down their debt, did special divvies and a buyback. Now, so one of the readers got the figures horribly wrong in the reader comments, and he thought it still had massive net cash 
which it doesn't. So you do need to pay attention to what Graham writes on these things because, you know, he's gone through it all properly um, and found that it actually had a small amount of net debt. So <laughs> I would advise, don't, you know, if you get things if you get things wrong by about 300 million, don't <laughs> try not to work the figures out yourself. Just let Graham do the, do the maths. <laughs> um, Anyway, there we are. That's uh, an international component manufacturer and distributor, Centra. I had a look at it myself because I know I previously had quite liked it, but um, didn't look madly exciting to me either. Now, I had a look at Calnex Solutions. Uh, its AGM statement came out. Uh, inline trading update. But remember that the forecasts were halved only a few months ago. And I think it's far too expensive, actually. Um I don't understand why the market is still giving this a very, very high premium rating. It's got a nice balance sheet, though Calnex Solutions has. I think in the past I was too um, bearish on it. I marked it red, I think, after the profit warning, which was, was, was wrong. I think I should have been maybe amber straight red. But anyway, I think just because it's overvalued, it, I shouldn't mark things red just because they're overvalued. You know, There has to be something wrong with it badly wrong with the business itself to be read so i've moved to amber on calnex solutions um but it's much too expensive i think so bulls are by implication uh pricing in you know a doubling of profits next year to get to um you know a, a sensible valuation on that why pay up front for a recovery that may or may not happen i don't get it anyway marshall's MSLH. This is the quite big um, building supplies group. Now, we've had two profit warnings from it already this year. I looked at the interim results in Wednesday's report. Really not not impressed at all. And this is another building-related company that says it's not now expecting a recovery in its markets until 2024. That follows on from what the house builders are now saying as well. So I think for the house building shares and the building uh, supplies companies, you know, I think maybe maybe it's best to watch from the sidelines rather than buying now for a, a bounce. So for that reason... I've actually personally um, ditched my small position in Brickability, BRCK, with a view to going back in at some point. I still think it's very good, so my fundamental views on the Brickability haven't changed, but I just don't want to be holding anything in the building supplies sector or the house building sector right now. Uh, okay, maybe I'm making the mistake of trying to time the market, but I just think there could be better uh, opportunities and you know why you know why hold something that you now know is not going to recover in h2 and it may or may not recover in 2024 instead i think there might be better spots to go back into these sorts of things anyway we covered all five companies that of interest that reported on wednesday so let's move on to thursday Right, Thursday. First of all, I looked at ITM. I only wanted to do a quick comment on this. It only took me about 20 minutes to do, uh, just to get it in the system, because it's not the sort of thing we can really meaningfully comment on. It's 570 million market cap. Does um, it put out preliminary results for April 2023. I've marked it red because uh, it's, it's, it's just a blue, scro- blue sky project burning colossal amounts of cash, massively loss-making, but it does have loads of cash in the bank still. It's got 283 million cash remaining, and it's indicated it's going to burn through, I think... uh, Oh, a lot of that. Gosh, forecast to drop by almost 100 million. 
up to 100 million in the in the next financial year. So this is one of these things I think they call them shit or bust, don't they? <laughs> it's either going to uh, well, I've never understood that expression because both sound bad, but anyway, it's burning a colossal amount of cash in the hope that what it's doing something to do with hydrogen uh refining a, a hydrogen for green energy use claims to be state-of-the-art and globally leading in developing this. I wish them well, but all I would say is in the 25-odd years that I've been investing in in, in, in UK small caps, these type of blue-sky projects hardly ever deliver what they say they're going to deliver in the time frame, and they nearly always have to do extra fundraisings, and the share prices nearly always crap out. So, so why get involved? You know, everybody's hoping that this is the big one, aren't they? Uh, but they nearly all go wrong. So I just don't understand why people invest in things like that. So anyway, that's that one. What else? Okin and Carter. Now this was very interesting. A trading update came up. This is the. It was a, a marketing group, but it seems to have morphed with a series of acquisitions and disposal. It seems to have morphed into a digital consultancy of some kind. It's not very good at explaining what it actually does. So I've been pretty negative about it, and it's it's destroyed a lot of shareholder value uh, over the years. But outcomes, and we, remember we had profit warning, at least one earlier this year, but a surprisingly positive trading update came out. So I flagged this up. And said, basically, it's not for me, but do take note that they've, uh, they're now expecting to see a, a, a revival in second half profits, driven by cost cutting, though, which is obviously not as good as uh, uh, winning, getting top line growth, because you can't keep cost cutting indefinitely, can you? Uh, it's huge adjustments in the accounts. We don't like the accounts at all for KCT, Kin and Carter. So it's very, very difficult to know what's really going on there. But the bottom line is they put out an ahead of expectations trading update. And that's what matters in the short term. And the shares have bounced about 20% plus. Um, and they hold on to the gains. So well done for anyone holding that. You know, maybe you've got your, your selling opportunity. Uh, also, I, 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 don't, I can't see that rise holding, personally, but it might do. You never know. So I, I did pick up as well, going through the numbers, that it spends millions, multiple millions, buying shares for its own employee trust. Now, this is a hidden form of remuneration. Well, it's not hidden. You can find it on the cash flow statement, but a lot of people miss it. And it does make me wonder, uh, given that it hasn't paid dividends for years, I think Kin and Carter is clearly a business, in my opinion, that is run for the benefit of management and the staff, not for outside shareholders. It's got a weak balance sheet with negative net tangible asset value. So even though I've, I looked at and thought, well, shall I just buy a few as a trade? But for me, the Venn diagram has to be a, a convergence of, I fundamentally think the company is a good business and that the shares are cheap, with a positive catalyst, like an ahead of expectations trading update. For me, you know, if I think it's fundamentally a pretty bad business and a bad share, then, you know, if it says trading ahead of expectations, I'm not going to buy them anyway. But, but you know, well done to people who did nip in for that trade. As I say, I'm not convinced the uh, the big jump in, in Kin and Carter shares is likely to stick, but we never know, do we? Graham looked at rank, very interesting, uh, final results. This is casino bingo um, hall type of um, uh, a company operator. I was surprised at how, how large its, its uh, market share of the casino's market is. 
Uh, it's very high. I mean, the figures themselves don't look particularly great, um, but it says that, that the costs are stabilising. And, um, of course, once the economy's improving, you might get a lot of people starting to go back to casinos and the high net worth um, uh, travellers going to London remain scarce. Now, there was something in today's paper about that as well, actually, saying, I think they were saying that the tourist tax, I don't know what that tourist tax is, but it's deterring wealthy people from coming to London to fritter away um, money. Um, so I, maybe that was talking about, was that talking about the withdrawal of VAT-free shopping? It might have been, anyway. So that could be interesting if if uh, if they reintroduce VAT-free shopping for rich people, foreigners coming to London. Apparently, places like Milan and Paris are are, are doing well because um, wealthy travellers who want to shop are going there more often, um, apparently, than they used to, and London's losing out. Although, I have to say, I've just been in London last week, and there seem to be plenty of rich-looking people, uh, Arabs and, uh, and, and Oriental-looking people, wandering around Bond Street and Oxford Street, carrying all sorts of shopping bags. So um, I think there are plenty of people in London spending, even if... Um, whether they're going to the casinos, though, apparently not uh, not as much as they were, Rank are saying. I, I looked at it as well. Graham's report was very interesting. Um, I, 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 th- I can see a bull case for Rank as a sort of cyclical recovery thing. Uh, and the balance sheet looked all right, so that's interesting. Now, I looked at Tremor, T-R-M-R. Very bad luck to people holding this one. That dropped 30% to £1.78 on Q2 and H1 results, which were pretty awful, actually. I've gone red on this. It's another of these ad tech things. Now, somebody pointed out um, that it's it's gone through about five or, or maybe up to seven, I think, different incarnations where they've changed the name, gone to, you know, drop the original activities and moved to doing a different type of activities in ad tech it seems to latch on and I just think these type of companies a bit like with Central NIC you just can't you can't rely on them having sustainable profitability they seem to hit these big patches where they make tons of money um, and then something changes maybe with the Google algorithms I don't know whatever but I just think it's a sector to avoid and with with Tremor there's been heavy and repeat um, director selling Overly generous share-based payments for management, mopped up by share share buybacks. I don't like it at all. Horribly overcomplicated results. I said to Graham after going through the interim results, I need a lie down in a cool dark room. My head was spinning trying to understand these numbers. And if you, you know, for me, if I can't get my head around the numbers, the t- way too many adjustments and all the rest of it, then generally speaking, it's not a very good company, I find. You know, when you find a really good quality company, the numbers are crystal clear. You know, you can see the P&L, it flowing through to big cash flows, strong balance sheet, then it feeds through to strong balance sheet. You know, with Central, with, with Tremor International, you can't work out what the hell's going on there. You know, is the amortisation charge real or not? And, oh, just, it was a nightmare going through those numbers. I felt physically ill at the end of it, as I say. So, the I, I mentioned here that I'd given Tremor International, and I flagged up all these these negative points before, looking back at previous small cap value reports. But I gave it the benefit in, of the doubt in the past, marking Tremor International um, amber, because it looked really cheap on a PE basis. But that's gone now. The broker forecasts have been slashed, uh, as I flagged up in the article. The PEs. Um, 
the question is, is it making any money at all? I don't know. If you can't work out if it's making money or not, because the accounts are so complicated, I'd just steer clear of it. So I'm not going to go near Tremor. Uh, and it continued falling, actually, I think, on Friday. So sorry to shareholders there, but personally... You know, you never know these things might suddenly have a huge bounce or somebody might bid for it. You just don't know what's going to happen, do you? So I'm not saying that I can predict what, what will happen to the share price, which we never can with anything. So uh, all I'm saying is on the fundamentals... I'm um, I'm avoiding Tremor International personally. Graham looked at an interesting one, Empiric Student Property, which, as the name suggests, owns and rents out student property. Now, the interesting thing in these interim results, I think, which Graham's flagged, is that it's achieving uh, full occupancy and 9% rental increases. The interesting thing about the university sector is that there are so many foreign students now coming to Britain I think I read somewhere something like 30% of university uh, students now in the UK are from China alone. Well, I'm not sure about the wisdom of that, but, you know, apparently they paid 24 grand each in fees. So the universities want them and they're effectively cross-subsidising cheaper fees for UK students, which sounds like quite a a good idea to me. I don't know what you think. the, The universities wouldn't... I think they've massively over-expanded uh, and far too many uh, Brits go to university who are not academic. And because of uh, grade inflation in, at A-levels, apparently some courses are seeing 30% dropouts because they get to university thinking that they're academic because they've been given A's and A-stars, and uh, which would have been C's for us back in the day. Um for the same level of ability, and they can't cope with with university because they're not up to the required standard, despite having got A's and A stars. The whole system's a mess, I think. And, you know, let's get more kids doing apprenticeships and vocational-type training where they're actually working and not racking up huge amounts of debt. So in order to keep our bloated universities going... Bringing in a load of foreign students, why not? I think it's a good idea. Anyway... And, you know, going back to the Cecil Rhodes type uh, theory that he set up his, his, his bursaries, of course, for foreign students, the idea being that obviously that was colonial uh, related, um, which was that was the era that he lived in. You know, his idea was that if you have, I think, two people from each country out of about 50 countries at the time who study in Britain, you'll then have a ruling class all over the world with knowledge of, experience of, and hopefully admiration for the UK, who are running other countries. So quite uh, an interesting concept. I'm not making judgment either way on, on Cecil Rhodes, of course, because I know he's controversial. But as with a lot of historical figures, he did some amazing things and he did some pretty bloody awful things. And who am I to judge a historical figure anyway? You know, I think people uh, people rush to judgment far too quickly um, but I can see the argument for looking at UK I did it then looking looking at looking at student property as an investment because uh, they're full basically a full up full occupancy and they're charging nine percent rent so that could be a nice investment so Graham quite liked it but we had some interesting reader comments who were more skeptical about empiric student property, making very good points. So thank you for those. Uh, we love bull and bear, or, you know, people, you don't have to be a bull or a bear, you can be in the middle. But we do like um, back with back and forth debate um, 
on individual shares, giving uh, a variety of views. That's really, really helpful when people do that. Now, I think I will move on to Friday quickly. Oh, I should say intelligent ultrasound reported on Thursday as well. I did start having a look at that. I had a quick look at the interims, but I sort of fizzled out. So I've got a half-written section on that. Um, Yeah, I couldn't get madly excited about intelligent ultrasound. It looks okay. And I listened to a webinar, I think it was on PI World... No, it was on Vox, I think, Vox Markets, with their CEO, who I have to say does come across as a pretty sensible-sounding chap on top of the numbers. The strategy sounds sensible at intelligent ultrasound. Uh, They're talking about that they use AI for um, assessing imaging of, of ultrasound scans, uh, which is an interesting area, without a doubt. So that could be worth a look. I just overall didn't feel that the 38 million market cap was sufficiently attractive for me to want to get involved. Cash is starting to look a bit tight, but they're claiming they can reach profitability without a fundraise. Uh, lots of companies claim that, and then you get it six months, nine months later, you get another placing. So I wouldn't rely on that necessarily being true. And then Windward Interims, I haven't looked at that yet, but that, I think, says it's doing something to to do with AI as well. I'm not sure all these companies claiming they're involved with AI. Some will be, some it might be a bit of a a try-on, I think. Uh, And I didn't finish my section on Robert Walters. Oh, God, I'm sorry about that. That's still half-written, so I'll try and get that done at some point. Oh, and Robinson put out interims. We were going to look at that, but it's only 16 million market cap, not very liquid, very widespread. So we just thought there's not much point in writing about it because the readers won't be able to buy the shares anyway, even if they want to. And it's basically trying to unlock value from its property, which we've covered that story numerous times over the year. It's not really any particularly new information, just that some property deals are going through, not particularly material, and it's only going to pay down debt. So I can't get excited about Robinson, I'm afraid. it looks okay, packaging business. Some years it does well, some years not so well. You know, I can't see the point. Right, on Friday, there are only two companies uh, reporting. Both of them were, were pretty hopeless. Also, I was tied up on Friday because I had to take a loved one to hospital for a routine operation. So I was just preoccupied by that, really. Uh, but luckily, as I say, it was very quiet for news, hardly anything. I looked at Everyman Media. This is the, the small but growing cinemas chain, which has a nice product offering. I'd be interested to hear what any uh, readers think of the... Uh, of the service offering rather I think it's you know you have a comfy seating area to sit in and you can order food and drinks to to the table looks very nice doesn't make any money though so I'm amber red on it Uh, it always quotes these huge EBITDA figures but uh, I went through the Canaccord note and what was it 17 million I think of EBITDA is expected for the year calendar year 2023 yeah here we are adjusted EBITDA 17.2 million Sounds great, doesn't it, for a company with a market cap of only uh, 54 million. But actually, it doesn't make any profit at all. It's an adjusted loss before tax forecast by Canaccord of 0.9 million, and that's because obviously it has a it's a very uh, it's very expensive creating these cinemas, opening them, and fitting them out. So mass multi-million pound upfront capex. And the depreciation charges are very heavy because those fit-outs wear quickly, having lots of the general public coming in and spilling popcorn and drinks all over them and, you know, trashing the carpets and toilets and things, I suppose. Um, So I don't think the business model here at Eman... uh, What's it called? Eman... 
Everyman Media, I don't think the business model is any good. Why would you keep rolling out more sites, which are really expensive to fit out, when you don't make any money? So I don't get it. It just and so I of course I had to dredge up the Warren Buffett quote saying that the tooth fairy does not pay for capex. <laughs> had to had to dredge that old uh, old one up again because it's so true. You don't want for me personally. I don't want to be buying into capital intensive businesses, uh, particularly where they're having to borrow the money to do these fit outs. All the costs are up front, and you and 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 the only return you make on it is enough to cover the depreciation of those assets. As a rubbish business model, unless there's some benefit of scale that I haven't uh, picked up on, maybe. But so anyway, yeah, I'm Amber Red on Everyman Media. The other one I was started to look at, but sorry, didn't get the section up, was Global Ports Holdings. Now, that share has done very well, actually, in the last year, but it's super high risk. Uh, it's got massive debt, horrible balance sheet. And the key point with that is that you need to look at whether it is going to be able to service the debt going forward. So um, it operates port facilities for cruise ships, and it's got a, a major shareholder of 63%. So you've got delisting, um, uh, heavy, heavy delisting risk there as well. I, I don't like it overall, but the shares have been doing well. So for special situations, higher risk investors might be worth you having a closer look at global ports holding. But whatever you do you've got to think about the debt the other thing is with companies with massive amounts of debt it's not just the net debt to EBITDA covenant that you need to worry about now that interest rates are high you've got to think about the interest cover covenant and when I last looked at global ports holdings it didn't have interest cover the um, the uh, operating profit was all wiped out by finance charges so and it actually, I think, made a loss at the profit before tax level. So you really need to do your sums carefully on the bank covenants with Global Ports Holdings. Uh, you know, it needs the bank to stay, or banks to say, to stay supportive for the equity to be worth anything. You know, your big risk is the equity could just get wiped out if the banks pull the plug on it. So very, very risky, I think, Global Ports Holding. But so far, people who've ignored the risk have done really well. So uh, that's the way it works sometimes, isn't it? So uh, I think I'll wrap it up there because I've got to go and pick up my niece shortly. So uh, thanks very much for listening. We love all your comments on Stockopedia, apart from the ones that start churning out people's half-baked views on politics. We're not interested in how crap the Conservatives are or how crap Labour would be if they took over. It's nonsense. And it doesn't add any value at all. You know, please try and not drift into politics, although I am aware, obviously, that, you know, government policy and finances and so on, uh, uh, the economic side of it is what we're interested in on the Stockopedia reports. The the, the political stuff, yeah, I mean, as a, as a, as a, as a general election nears, we do have to think about political risk, don't we? Uh, but already... Um, no, I'm not. I was going to say that Keir Starmer seems to be flip-flopping on everything, but I'm just by breaking my own rule there, aren't I? <laughs> by getting sucked into politics, you know, businesses have a funny way of of coping with whoever's running the country, and I think they're all much of a muchness anyway. Uh, they can't spend any more money because they're already running a deficit of seven percent of GDP. So, is a lot going to change? 
Probably not, actually. I think they're, they're, they're you know, the Conservatives don't do it. No, no, no. Stop, Paul. Right. I'm going to wrap this up. So, you see, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, keeping away from politics? So uh, but let's try our best, because it doesn't add value. And once one person um, posts a political comment, it opens the... Um, the floodgates and we get all this rubbish posted that doesn't add any value from everybody who just wants to vent. I mean, look, maybe we should just let people vent. They are paying their subscriptions, aren't they, after all? Um, But I I just don't think a small cap investment um, report is a good place for just bickering about uh, party politics, that's all. It keeps it cleaner and more interesting if people keep it to shares and, and business and finance anyway i'll wrap it up there got a dash thanks very much for listening and for contributing and uh yeah let's let's at some point the markets are going to improve and if you're in good solid solid companies like i think i am um i'm actually pretty relaxed you know if i lose a few thousand pounds every few days or two or three days on the trot that's the way it goes it's only it's only numbers on a screen i'm not going to sell them because the shares have dropped five percent uh if i've you know actually i want to buy more but um, obviously you've got to get the money from somewhere, haven't you, to buy other stuff. So, uh, But um, I think let's try and keep focused on, on the fundamentals. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. Uh, if you're a trader, absolutely fine, but you'll, you'll have a different way of looking at things. So um, I think a lot of people who think they're investors are actually closet uh, traders. But look, whatever works for you, do more of it, as my mentor always says to me. Uh, uh, On that note, I shall love you and leave you. Thanks again, and bye for now. Bye.